Welcome to the 67th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. In episode 66, we talked to wildlife professional David Traba about the role grass-based farms can play in improving habitat for birds and providing ecological services in general. Such benefits are particularly important in rural areas that were formerly covered by ecological gems such as native prairies, which have all but disappeared from the Midwest. We interviewed Traba at Moonstone Farm, a western Minnesota operation that is integrating cattle production with natural resource protection, utilizing managed rotational grazing. Moonstone's owner-operators, Audrey Arner and Richard Handine, have also established tree plantings and other perennial plant systems such as wine grapes. The farmers sell their grass-fed beef directly to consumers and restaurants that are seeking a natural, great-tasting product that's good for the environment. On the day Traba and others toured Moonstone, it was clear this working farm was having a positive impact on the environment. Birds and other wildlife were thriving, and erosion was next to non-existent. A neighbor's remnant native prairie was proof that a working, sustainable farm like Arner and Handine's can exist side-by-side with an untouched landscape. But it was also clear that many ecological services were being created on the farm itself. After talking to Traba about the role working farms can play in the natural environment, I interviewed Audrey Arner about the steps she and Handine took to transition their farm from row crops to perennial plants and how they are making such a system economically viable. Like uh, most of the farms in our area, this farm when we came here was all corn one year and all soybeans the next. And we did uh, that same rotation uh, and started certifying some of that organic in the late 1970s and that was pretty difficult not having any perennials in that rotation um, and we were we our first incentives to begin putting some perennials in the landscape were through the the original RIM program, reinvest in Minnesota, working with Pheasants Forever to get a uh, cost share for seeding um, down uh, highly erodible land that had been in corn and soybean production uh, and we've worked a lot with the Natural Resources Conservation Service um, with programs to Im- improve the infrastructure of our farm to to be able to to perennialize and to diversify, which I regard as the lessons of the Great Prairie. We didn't really think about that when we were starting to make the, the transitions, but it's really what hits me powerfully now, um, retrospectively. I mean, we became better farmers as we became better birders and better better monitors of what was going on in, in our environment. It made us more sensitive to um, fixing the ills of the, of the landscape and learning a lot from other farmers within Land Stewardship Project to, uh, to use practices that would benefit wildlife and be able to uh, sustain our pocketbooks, especially in light of um, having foregone some federal farm program payments <laughs> that uh, had been sustaining us up until that point. It's kind of hard to give up those checks, but um, what I was ex- explaining to somebody on the tour today was that our, even though we have lots of diversity in the landscape and, and our woody plantings that are in timber and fruits and nuts and ornamentals and medicinals, their their investment is very long-term, and it's only because of the long-term investment in cattle that we are able to, that we have generated enough capital to be able to do experiments, to be able to plant things that take uh, three to five years to start bearing, like like in the vineyard or 
or 10 to 20 years in the form of um, nut trees. So it's really the, the cattle that are the wealth generators that, that are enabling our experiments. But they're also the, um, I guess, the different life form that has spawned other diversity on the farm. You know, we have, I think we have more different birds because we're grazing, because of the nature, not only of more perennials in, la- in landscape, but having manure in the landscape and having big four-leggeds in the landscape. And it, it's altered and uh, and it's got a good feel to it. You know, I, that's one of the reasons we keep doing it. It's not... Um, less work but it's different work and it's different every day and it's uh, not butting our heads up against what I called it Richard used to be wrestling with the heavy metal dinosaurs you know with equipment that was wearing out and do we do we invest in bigger and better equipment and rent more land or do we do something drastically different and drastically different has been the the best road for us well, that's and I think that's key that you talk about. It's more pleasurable for you. It's it's improved your quality of life, and it may not be less work, but it's a different kind of work that you find more satisfying. But all that wouldn't mean much if you couldn't make a living at it. And I guess we should point out, you, you guys have been able to get rewarded, especially since, like you said, the government commodity programs really deter farmers from doing this kind of thing. But you, you guys have, over the years, been able to build up a way of getting rewarded for that through the marketplace, through your marketing of your your grass-fed products, uh, that seems to have worked out. It seems to be a way that you're able to support, then, what you're doing on the land. Yeah, if we were just taking trail loads of cattle to the sale barn and taking whatever they'd give them, give us for them, uh, we'd, we'd be in deep trouble, I think, at this point. But because we set the price for our product and uh, work with a community of restaurants and families who uh, are amenable to believing what we say we need for our product and uh, compensating us for it, there's there's a, a high trust level there and a, and a high um, exchange of goodwill. Just one other question, Audrey. One thing I was impressed with walking around the farm is how many times you and Richard talked about some of the relationships you have with neighbors. And I think that that's pretty key. I mean, there's still, obviously you still have corn and soybean farms in this area, and that can, you know, maybe some of the positive benefits you see for water quality can be wiped out. Uh, by one rainstorm from a row crop field. But on the other hand, I was impressed with you seem to have good relations with a lot of your neighbors, and that seems key if we're going to see this type of farming system benefit a community rather than just have islands of of farms doing this kind of thing. In, in the end, that's probably not going to have a big overall impact, but if we can get more of the neighbors involved and doing their maybe their own version of of what's of some of the stuff that benefits the land is is that is that something you've seen change over the years a little bit or what i've seen change over the years within our um, broader community not only our immediate neighbors but but farmers who live a distance from us and and people who live in town as well uh, is that we're not just an oddball rarity anymore but we've been around for a long time and and people like the feel of uh, our farming operation. They like the sense that you get walking around and experiencing the different species and uh, watching for unique kinds of butterflies and and uh, and they like the food that comes from our farm and uh, that's something that commodity production isn't able to provide. It's kind of relationship that commodity production isn't able to provide at least not that I'm aware of. So um, I'm not saying it's 
all around better, but uh, but it is different and it's growing and 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 it's gotten to the point of respectability so that people are willing to try it. You know, our our neighbor friend who owns the prairie that we visited on the tour this evening. I'm really just getting to know her, but I really want to feed her interest in the prairie and feed her interest in managing it as a means of maybe thinking that they might be interested in grazing a few cows on it, ours or theirs. You know, I'm not set on putting our cows on there. I would just like to see livestock as part of how it's managed. Um, Even though burning has been a good tool for restoring that prairie, I think grazing can bring great benefits to it as well. For more information on Moonstone Farm, see www.prairiefair.com slash moonstone. That's prairiefair, F-A-R-E dot com slash moonstone. For details on how farming systems can benefit natural habitat, see www.landstewardshipproject.org. Click on Programs and follow the links to the Multiple Benefits of Agriculture and Pasture Raise Livestock page. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.